0: Hi, I'm Esau Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ring of Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio,
1: a football podcast, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote vs. the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24 seven access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details.
1: It is Thursday, May 25th, Memorial Day weekend, the official start of summer. For many people, myself included, That probably means a trip to a theme park or two. Since the parks reopened after the COVID shutdowns, attendance has been booming. Disney this past quarter reported $2.2 billion in profit from the parks, up 20% from last year. That includes the Florida and Anaheim resorts, plus Paris, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. Bob Iger, the Disney CEO, is counting on the park's revenue to fund the company's transition from linear TV to streaming, which, as we know, is very costly and, at least so far, not a very good business. But despite a bunch of new revenue drivers at the parks, like the Genie Plus app and across-the-board price increases, I call it price gouging, but I'm not writing the Disney press releases, there's been some weaknesses. Parks' profit actually came in below analyst estimates at the end of last year, and both inflation and the teetering U.S. economy have worried Disney investors, especially since before the pandemic, the Parks division generated as much as 45% of the company's overall profit. That's a lot. Just last week, Disney closed down, or announced it was going to close down, the Galactic Star Cruiser, a very ambitious and very pricey Star Wars luxury hotel. I never went. Probably wouldn't pay a lot for that experience in a hotel, but I heard it was great. Plus, there's the whole war with Ron DeSantis in Florida, which hasn't seemed to impact park attendance, but has further politicized the Disney brand, according to a new Axios survey. There's the competition angle as well. Universal isn't anywhere near Disney in attendance or profit, but the Super Mario World attraction in LA is really juicing attendance that's coming in Florida as well. It's a good time for a theme park check-in, so I asked Scott Gustin to come on the show. Scott does not work for Disney. He's actually an executive at NextStar, which owns the CW network and a bunch of TV stations. But he's also a Disney and theme park journalist and a super tweeter about everything Disney. He follows the parks very closely. He can tell me what's really going on at Disney and elsewhere in theme park land. Despite the recent boom, does Disney actually have a parks problem? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Scott Gustin. Scott is a theme park journalist, one of my favorite titles, a prolific tweeter about all things Disney, and an avid theme park guy. Scott, welcome. Hey man, how are you? Good. So how many times do you go to Disney parks in the past year? Oh, in the past year, probably 10. Well, oh, that's not too much. That's for you know, both it's coasts. More than your average person, but you're not yeah. there every weekend. No, not not
3: every weekend, but yeah, both coasts, probably 10 visits in the last year.
1: And what I like about you is you bring the financial acumen. You are, you know, media executives. You work at a media company and then you also cover Disney and tweet about Disney. And you've got that financial background. So I want to start this conversation just looking at Disney, not the overall theme park industry, but Disney right now. How would you describe where the parks business is for Disney? It's kind of been a crazy couple years post-COVID, where the attendance has been going nuts. Bob Chapek, the former CEO, really leaned on the parks to generate revenue at a time when they were hurting in other places. They raised prices. They started doing this Genie Plus system. And it pissed off a lot of the hardcore fans, but it did generate more money. Now Iger is back. Iger kind of walked back a couple of those things a little bit. But we got some good numbers this past quarter. So what would, you, what would you say the state of the parks is at Disney?
3: I would have to say a roller coaster.
1: Just because, yeah. <laughs> you know, like
3: for, for World, Walt Disney World, money was great. It still is good. But in the last earnings, they noted that Walt Disney World has dipped a bit coming off the 50th anniversary, which I'm not sure I buy that as an explanation. But things are, are definitely down at World. But Disneyland International Parks are both strong. I do think some of the softness that we're seeing at Walt Disney World is because of what you mentioned with the Genie Plus. A lot of changes that happened during COVID and some because of COVID and others that happened during COVID and have stuck around for business reasons um, have pushed some people away. You know, they took away the dining plan, which is huge for people that book that once, twice in a life trip to Walt Disney World and they want to. Grab the dining plan because they can prepay for food. They don't have any surprise expenses when they're down there. They took that away for the last three years. They just recently announced that will return next year. So people that are looking for that, you know, turnkey booking their vacation with dining plan, everything baked in, they they can't get that until next year.
1: Well, they took away the annual passes. They took away that free shuttle right the from the airport Express, yep. to Disney World. They did a lot of things. I think. Chapek took advantage in many ways of what he knew would be a surge back to the parks when they reopened after COVID and did a lot of things that had sort of been swirling around in the C-suites, but had not pulled the trigger on, so to speak. And it generated revenue, but it caused a lot of people to get upset. But I just don't know if that's the reason why the revenue is a little soft. It's got to be just the larger economy, inflation, some of the indicators. I saw a commercial the other day for 25% off rooms at Walt Disney World Resort. And I hadn't seen one of those since pre-COVID.
3: Oh, yeah. There's discounts for rooms. Disney just a couple weeks ago announced two new ticket offers for summer, which is pretty unheard of for the type of offer that they're giving to regular guests, not just Florida guests, but regular guests to come down to Walt Disney World for the summer, which typically summer is a very popular season the last three or four years. We've seen that kind of slack off with people wanting to go other times of the year. But that ticket offer that they just announced, my favorite part about it is it doesn't require guests to book a park reservation, which is something that happened during COVID where you had to buy a ticket and you also had to reserve a reservation at the park. This ticket that they just launched they are marketing it as that is as a, a ticket that doesn't need park reservations, something that was touted for guest experience to help maintain or manage tenants during COVID. Now we have tickets that will not require those park reservations, and they're actually using that to promote it as their way of acknowledging, you know, this is not something that people want.
1: And you don't need a park reservation anymore at Disneyland, or you won't in the future. They announced they're rolling that back as well, right?
3: Sort of. So, annual pass holders can enter at Disneyland, or Magic Key pass holders, I should say, can enter at Disneyland after eleven o'clock without a park reservation. But they're slowly pulling this back. But there's part of this park reservation system that they want to maintain, and I think mostly for Magic Key holders and annual pass holders, this will remain in some way for both of them. Even if you know it stays at Disneyland just for Magic Key holders if they want to enter the park in the morning but they can enter after 11. There's going to be different rules, but I think Disney likes the idea of knowing how many of their annual pass holders and Magic Key holders are going to be there each day and, and regulate the number that are showing up.
1: What did Chapek call them? Was it undesirables, unfavorable mix? Unfavorable attendance mix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone loves yeah. to be called that. <laughs> An unfavorable attendance mix yeah. when uh, the Magic Key people would show up because, you know, he doesn't make as much money on them because they're savvy and they know that you probably shouldn't buy a, a $11 drink when you can bring a bottle of water. Those people he does not like. But Iger, I feel like, is in this weird place. He knows, he he probably cringed at a lot of that stuff, knowing that the community would have a backlash. But he's in this place now where the rest of the company has such issues and the streaming problems are just getting worse and worse. They're cutting $5 billion from the company. They are scrapping a bunch of projects, taking shows off the Disney Plus and Hulu services. And they are really leaning on the parks to generate the revenue they're going to need to transition over to the streaming universe. So if the parks start to teeter a little bit, that could have ramifications across the rest of the company.
3: It could. I think the parks are fine. I think some of the concern for the parks is is with all of those struggles, are they going to continue and be able to invest in the parks in a way that you need to, to make sure that they continue to grow?
1: Yeah, we've seen the benefits of the investment over the past five to seven years. I mean, the new Avengers campus in Anaheim and the Tron ride in Florida and like a lot of these things that do generate more attendance. We haven't seen a lot of announcements for Disney lately at the parks. I mean, they say they have this plan for Anaheim for the next 30 years, but that's far away. That's just kind of posturing with the city of Anaheim. Why haven't we seen that? level of investment announcement lately? I really don't know. I mean, we
3: haven't heard much about like the vision for Walt Disney World or, you know, outside of the Disneyland 4 project, which has it's essentially everything's in pencil. If they get approval, we'll see what they can do with it. But even at Walt Disney World, there's not a whole lot that has been announced that has, has been started in any way. I mean, uh, Josh Tomorrow at the Fan Expo, the D23 Expo last September. He runs
1: the parks division.
3: Yeah. Josh runs parks. And last year at the at the expo in September of last year, he had a parks panel and he kind of talked about what's coming to the parks. There were some announcements that we have seen where they brought back some popular fireworks shows at Walt Disney World. And there was a whole segment about this blue sky, what is possible discussion for Walt Disney World. What is possible beyond the berm, which is a term that they like to use, where you think about the outer Limits of some of the parks in world. What can they build beyond that to add capacity? Well,
1: Ron DeSantis wants to build a prison, so they're gonna have to work <laughs> around that. That that'll be a little awkward if it's a castle next to a cement castle.
3: Yeah, we'll we'll see where they put that. Uh, as long as it has bus service to the parks, I'm sure.
1: Uh, you know what? On a on a hot day at Disney World, maybe the line will be shorter at the prison. Well, son, I mean, I I, I some would sign up for that. The Dole Whip will be amazing in the prison cafeteria served on the tray.
3: The thing that I'm curious about with Walt Disney World is they've talked about wanting to do all of this, but there are no specifics. And as a company, I understand if you want to stay secretive and keep things close to the vest and not announce, but that's not typically what Disney has done. They typically will tell you they're going to build, you know, a Star Wars land. They're going to build Galaxy's Edge. They'll kind of unveil it, they'll show some art, and then it takes a long time for a lot of that to happen. We haven't even reached the point where we've been given any kind of commitment on what it is they wanna do.
1: Do you think the Florida battle is impacting that? I mean, it's hard to announce splashy new developments when you're in court with the governor fighting over the fact of you know the, the ability to govern yourself as Disney has had for 50 years there in Florida.
3: It wasn't a problem in September. I think that's kind of where I, I struggled. They weren't willing to say it in September. I think because of what you just said, I completely agree. They're even far less likely now to be trying to commit to that. Maybe they'll surprise us and we'll get something. There's another fan convention later this year where many think that they'll finally unveil what it is that they want to do at Walt Disney World. There's some glaring holes in some of the parks, including Animal Kingdom, where they've closed some attractions. And there's just, they're just waiting to start some of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, you have the DeSantis situation. I see headlines where they want to say that it is the reason that Disney has canceled Lake Nona, their business expansion complex. That's the $1
1: billion move right. of the employees that Iger pulled back this past year from California to Florida.
3: And the idea that DeSantis is alone, respo-
1: you know, responsible
3: for that is not true. No, that's a cost-cutting move. It's a cost-cutting move. And it was kind of already happening before any of this started. They, they had yeah. slowed progress on it. But why would they feel good about taking a chance on moving forward with something given the DeSantis situation?
1: Oh, sure. And it's a nice opportunity for Iger to kind of poke at him. It also masked the closure of Galactic Star Cruiser, which was announced the same day, which is a very big deal. I mean, this was a Huge announcement when they opened this you know, very pricey Star Wars hotel and all the fanfare, and it's an experience unlike anything else. People I've talked to who have been say it is, it still is open. It was, it's amazing, but it also cost six grand for a family of four to go for the full experience. And these days, that's a tough ask. It's
3: a tough ask. And it, there was a lot that went wrong. So, price is number one. But the issue with the price is that. It really could not have been cheaper because of decisions that were made during the development of this project, which there was a plan to bring this to California. Should it be successful, they wanted to bring it to California and other places around the world. Uh, and they also wanted to test this out on other IP. So what was the problem?
1: That what made it so expensive that they couldn't pull back?
3: It's what they decided they wanted it to be from the get-go. It was a, a small experience only a hundred rooms so you think about the cost of just the infrastructure
1: yeah you, the margins have to be high on each person then they have to be high and they had a
3: amazing all of the good reviews that you hear from people all the people that did it that love it are because of the people that worked on the star cruiser and it's because they had such high quality cast members were there and were fully invested in the experience that they wanted to give the guests there were immersive of it was so immersive, lots of employees. You're immersed all day long for two full days. And it got to the point where I guess they internally decided they could not sacrifice experience because that was what was keeping people coming. People were coming, loving it, hating how much it was, but loving the experience. They couldn't pull back on experience. They started testing over the last two or three months some discounts, and the discounts just did not do enough to fill the rooms to a way where they I guess they could be okay with the tighter margins. But knowing that they were full every night, they weren't even getting to that point.
1: And heading into some questionable economic times, I see why they said, you know what, if this doesn't work in the year when everybody is rushing back to theme parks, it's probably not going to work when people are pulling back a little bit and the economy is not as strong.
3: Right. And there were discussions about them trying different storylines, making changes to the experience beyond just staffing, you know, just the money side they were looking at. They've talked about this openly. They said they were looking at different places the Star Cruiser could go. But I think before they got to the point where they were willing to move forward with the changes that would possibly be needed to fix what is the Star Cruiser, they just decided to just stop.
1: Does this mean that the cruise division is also having problems? Because people compared no. Star Cruiser to a cruise. It's got cruise in the name and the price point is up there with some of the pricier Disney cruises. Should Disney be worried about the cruise division?
3: No way. I mean cruise lines are are doing great. They just launched a ship last year. They've got Disney Treasures coming soon. They have two more that are being built. One that will stay in the east. Uh, I can't remember where, I think Singapore is where it's going to be starting initially. And then they have another one that is coming to the US. The cruise lines are doing amazing. If you look at all the discounts that are being offered for parks right now, Mm -hmm. the cruise lines have very few discounts anywhere. Uh, The ships appear to be full, incredibly high satisfaction ratings on the cruises. People that have the sticker shock when they compare Disney to other cruise lines uh, are not wrong. It is significantly more expensive. But the Disney Cruise Line experience is one of my favorite things personally, but it also has been consistently strong for the
1: company. And that's why they invested so much in the, the new ship. Biggest question, do they have churros on the cruise lines? They don't have churros. But they got oh, that is ice bullshit. <laughs> they, don't, they don't offer churros? You know, here's the thing about churros. Churros are really a Disneyland thing. And oh, they don't even offer those at Disney World?
3: They have them at Disney World, but they're not as good. And they're just not the thing that they are at Disneyland. Oh wow, huh? I've seen churro like they have churro waffles on the cruise lines. I've mm-hmm. seen like knockoff churros on the buffet that are not good. But like, there's not a there needs to be a, a churro. A bad churro window. is
1: very bad. I agree. Yeah. No, th- those are
3: those are disgusting. But like, they need a churro window on the cruise line, like they have the unlimited ice cream. I should be able to just go get
2: uh, yeah. a churro. I agree.
1: and some of the COVID protocols and the shutdowns and all the problems that they had there. Have the numbers recovered? And among those four international parks, what is the hierarchy in terms of how they are seen internally? Revenue-wise, attendance-wise, success-wise? The
3: thing that's tricky with the international parks is just because they're not all fully owned by Disney. There's a lot of partnerships. So as far as, like, internally, which one gets them the most back to the actual company. I'm not really sure. But I mean, Tokyo Disneyland is, I think, widely considered to be the best Disney theme park experience currently. In the, in the oh, world. In sh- of all of them? Of all of them. Oh, wow. Why? It's a lot of commitment to guest experience because of the funding situation and how that entire resort works. There's more money
1: to put into attractions. Is that where they just opened the Frozen attraction? Uh, they're adding that to Hong Kong. Okay. That seems like a no-brainer in the U.S. Like, what little girl wouldn't want to go to Frozen land? Yeah, the land really would do well in the U.S.
3: The ride itself that they're bringing to Hong Kong is actually a clone of what is at Epcot, which, interestingly <laughs> enough, was they took a an old attraction to Epcot and forced Frozen into it. Uh, it was Maelstrom boat ride, and then they they put an overlay for Frozen to go in there, and now they're cloning what was an overlay in that new land in Hong Kong, but it's also getting a land. It's getting another new attraction, a roller coaster similar to like the seven dwarfs mine train at Walt Disney World. They're getting one
1: frozen themed. So Tokyo is considered the best. What about the others?
3: I think Disneyland Paris, they have put a lot of money there recently at Avengers campus uh, has also gone. That was such a
1: famous failure when it launched. Yeah, they,
3: they are doing a lot there. They've got a, couple of really good nighttime shows in Paris. The drones uh, that were rumored for domestic parks for a long time have seemingly flown over and are now just happening and flying in Paris. They're doing a lot with nighttime shows there with drones. It's
1: pretty cool. I think Americans like fireworks.
3: Yeah, but they're doing both over there and it looks amazing.
1: Oh, like, really? Okay.
3: Like behind the castle, they're, they're using it. In between Pyro, there are, are moments. Uh, they have a, an Avengers-specific drone fireworks show there behind the tower and Avengers campus in Paris. So I think all of the parks internationally are doing well. I just, I don't know how it translates the bottom line for Disney for Tokyo success, but I know in general, it is regarded to be the the top tier Disney theme park experience for people that have gone and seen all of the parks. I, I have not been to Tokyo, but it's on the bucket
1: list. So the other parks, among them, I mean, Universal seems to be riding this Mario Brothers thing. I mean, the the fact that they teed up the movie to come out right when the Mario Worlds opened in L.A. They're going to just ride this all year. I mean, the numbers I've talked to people at Universal, the numbers for the Hollywood Park are way up because of the Mario Land. I mean, is this Disney must just be like kicking themselves? Iger even complimented them on the earnings call about the Mario movie, because that is a Disney-style hit for them. It's yeah. well-known IP, although Universal shares it with Nintendo, and it's been deployed into consumer products and now the parks. It's sort of a Disney-style flywheel for Universal. And I mean, they had a home
3: run with, uh, with that land. And I've been to the one in Hollywood. It's smaller. They're building a similar Nintendo world when Universal opens up its new park in Florida in 2020. Oh, it's
1: not open in Florida yet. No, it's not. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So universal. Oh God! So that's why the Hollywood one is so crowded because yeah. everyone's got to go there. Yep. So I, I got a, an
3: eight-year-old Mario super fan. I brought him out there a couple months ago for that reason. And it's small. It's, I it's saw, so I was there small last small.
1: year when they were building it. It's like, they literally like knocked down a couple of sound stages and put an awkward extension into the park. I mean, there's no room there in universal city for anything. They just kind of like squeezed it in it's a great
3: land. They deserve an award for doing the most with the smallest footprint I've ever seen. Uh, I mean that park itself, like they, part of the theme park is on top of a a parking garage. Literally, they know how to use space pretty well there and they did it with Mario, but it's, it's so small. It's going to be much bigger in Florida. It's going to have three attractions when it opens versus the one that they have in Hollywood. But, but yeah, so this, this land opens 2025 in Florida as part of Universal's newest theme park, which will, I mean, everyone's going to benefit when Epic Universe opens. There's always the Disney versus Universal angle, which is 100% legitimate and should be discussed. But Disney will benefit from them opening that park in Orlando because it will extend how long people think they should visit.
1: And most people, when they go to go to one Universal park, they also go to a Disney park. Exactly. And so they're both going to win on that. Right. So are you bullish on Disney parks? I look at the numbers and I say, oh God, they've got so many problems elsewhere that they need these parks to perform. Yet the whole value of Disney and the reason why they have been able to separate themselves from the rest of the competition in the theme park business is because they have all this other stuff that they can deploy into the parks, the characters, and they have the revenue from all the other divisions to spend the necessary investments to make the parks better than what anything at Cedar Fair or Six Flags or even Universal can offer. So are you bullish on the future of Disney given the problems that the companies had elsewhere? I am. My
3: concern is that when I look back at the last couple of years, I don't know that much about earnings calls, but I don't hear a whole lot of over-earning discussions uh, like we heard for theme parks you know, last year where there were concerns that the Parks are making too much money. Right. So we kind of went from that. And in that period, when that was happening, there w- didn't at least appear to be a whole lot of commitment to new attractions, new rides. And now we know where the company's at. We're looking at what's going on with streaming. We know that they're trying to save money. That's what concerns me is that it does take a leap of faith, if you're a parks fan, to suddenly have this confidence that Disney is going to put the money into parks that they need to put in. But I think what keeps me optimistic is that for a long time, the parks have carried this company going way, 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 way back. The parks had been a consistent, reliable revenue generator for the company. Even before they got very aggressive by purchasing all of these properties, the parks were doing well. They're going to continue to do well. I just, I hope that the company knows you got to take care of your car. You can't just, you know, just let it ride until it it falls apart. you got to keep putting money into it. you got to maintain it. I think Iger and I think Josh tomorrow, they know this. I just hope that there's enough funding for them to do what they need to do.
1: Yeah. When you're burning furniture to keep the warmth in the room, it's tough to think about five years from now. But I I agree with you. I think they will recognize the value there. All right. Thank you so much, Scott. I will think of you when I am enjoying a warm churro at Disneyland this summer. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Jesse is in for Craig, who is currently at the ABBA Museum, I think, having some Swedish meatballs.
0: Jesse is here. Jesse, are you a uh, Disney guy? I think you are, right? I am a Disney guy. I am indeed. Uh, I love going to the theme parks. I grew up on the Disney movies. So, you know, I'm, I'm all Disney. All right, so are you excited about the Little Mermaid
1: remake this weekend?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say excited, but I'm intrigued. You know, all these live-action remakes have had, like, really weird responses. And, like, I enjoyed the Beauty and the Beast one. Didn't watch The Lion King. It just looked kind of weird. Maybe down the line I'll watch it.
1: Well, gross $1.5 billion. That's not weird for Disney. So no, no. they would love for Little Mermaid to get anywhere near that. And I would love it because I picked it. As my number one pick for my box office draft with Lucas earlier this year, uh, he had Mario Brothers, so he's riding high, and I'm trying to make up the difference now. The tracking for this weekend is fine. It's about 100 million for the three day, about 120 million for the four day weekend, which is good. It's better than, it would be better than anything else Disney has released this year. Not as good as Super Mario Brothers, but I think this one, I don't wanna make a bad mermaid pun, but I think this one will have legs to get to probably close to a billion if they play their cards right. So I'm going to actually take the over on the box office this weekend. I think it'll beat 120.
0: I'll be there. The Little Mermaid is my wife's number one Disney princess. She has an Ariel tattoo on her leg. Oh, no. She does? Yes.
1: Wait, so now what is she going to do? There's a new Ariel.
0: Oh, she she doesn't she doesn't care. It's still she wants aerial. the OG.
1: She's not going to get it. Uh, you know, redone for the new era. No, 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 no.
0: She has she has an Ariel on her leg, a C three PO on her wrist, and a Mickey Mouse on her other wrist.
1: Wow, that is devotion. All right, so you guys will be there. <laughs> we'll that be guarantees there, yes. you'll be there. I, I
0: will be there no matter what. Even if I wasn't uh, excited or had no interest in the movie, I would be there. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's an interesting one because there was all the controversy about the Black Ariel. I don't I don't think that's going to matter at all. The reviews have been okay, It, you know, better than most of these live-action remakes, which are not really made for critics. They're made for fans and people who are nostalgic Nostalgia. like you. Yeah. But, you know, it helps if the critics like it. And the reviews for Halle uh, Bailey have been very good. So, you know, it seems like a kind of star-making performance here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for that, because every I've seen the same thing, that Haley Berry just kind of knocks it out of the water. Ah, uh, there you go. Nice <laughs> pun. Not as good as having legs, but it's no, pretty good.
1: Uh, all right, so we'll see how I did. I actually did pretty well last weekend. I I took the over on Fast, and it delivered. I think Disney's probably lowballing a little bit here. So we'll see how this one does. All right, that's the show. I want to thank my guest, Scott Gustin. I want to thank producer Jesse Lopez, in for Craig. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week, Tuesday, because of the holiday.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.